you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We are focusing in on the 12 disciples. We will read through the first five verses. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, nor enter any city of the Samaritans. Father, help us to understand your power through very, very ordinary common people. And Father, I pray that uh, as we gather this day to look at this and to drink deep of this understanding, that we understand, Lord, that it is the submitted, humble vessel that will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what they could ever think or imagine. And Father, I pray as you train each of us, make us learners, we would be eager to be obedient when you send us out to wherever you send us out. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that we truly have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been working our way through this, and we've been looking at the personalities of these individuals. Okay, But we're also looking at God's provision through these individuals. And, and, and there's times that what, if you're really honest with your life, what you go through in life, whatever you endure, whether it's tragedies or blessings or whatever it is, that you understand that all of that is used to mold you into the tool that God wants to use. I remember hearing a story a long time ago about a, a, a terrible train crash in England. It, it was horrific. And there was many, many, many casualties. And on board this train was an emergency room doctor. And he was out bringing out the bodies and trying to stabilize. And he yelled that if I only had my tools, some of these people could be saved. And the man that used this illustration said, God just wants his tools. Now, I understand the premise of that thought, but I also understand the stupidity of that thought. Okay, that's saying, well, if I don't act like a tool, then God will be thwarted. That is not the way this thing works. But I do understand when I look at you guys. Every one of you is a tool. Every one of you has somebody that your path will cross. And they're going to see 
Well, exactly what will they see? One of my favorite verses, maybe my favorite verses, is that we all behold in a mirror are being transformed from glory to glory. The image of Christ through the Spirit. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. And then you think about the Apostle Paul telling the Philippians, saying, the things you've received, the things you've heard, the things you have seen in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay? That's powerful. Then you look at these guys, and you, you, you see a lot of characteristics that make up the average person today. And we've been looking at it. In John's gospel, John couldn't figure out whether Peter was being in the spirit or in the flesh, so we always called him Simon Peter. Okay, he says, I don't know what you're doing, Peter, but so I'll just call you Simon Peter. Okay? And, and, and we saw the audacity of Peter. He was, and listen, for all accounts, he was a spokesman for the twelve. He's, but see, when you look at leadership, Leadership is always the person asking the questions. They never run out of questions. But then you realize that they're always the ones who will be firing back the answers. And sometimes their zeal gets ahead of their answer. I mean, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, your flesh didn't show you that, Peter. God in heaven showed you that. And if all deny you, Lord, I shall never deny you. Well, that didn't work out very well, did it? Okay? So, what you see people who... Everybody wants to be a leader. I have had a couple of different jobs with government institutions. You know, one was a school district, one was a town of Castle Rock. And I could not exist in that realm. That That is so against me in so many ways. I couldn't, the longest I made was five years. I just couldn't do it. Everybody was a boss as long as they didn't have to take responsibility. And I was just like, how does that work? Okay. Whether I was working in the school district or working for the town, and, and, and I did some stuff with subcontracts with federal, the federal government, and they were the same way. You guys sit around and think this stuff up, but you never really think about what's going to happen. So that don't fit me. All right. But that was used in my life to mold me to where I am. A leader like Peter is results-oriented, okay? I want this finished, and this is how I want to do it. I have that bad habit, okay? When I start something, I don't want nobody to bother me until I'm done, okay? <laughs> I, I just, I want to get this done so I can be done with it, all right? And people don't understand, well, what if it takes you a week? Then I'll wait a week. Until I got a slot that I can say, I'm going to do it right here. Okay? Because I, I want to be finished with it. Okay? 
Peter was that way. He saw something. I mean, this is the same guy who denied him three times, then was sitting at the seashore and says, do you love me? Do you do you even really like me? Okay, and he was restored, but he was already warned that this was coming. He was warned that he was going to be martyred. He knew what was on its way. So when Pentecost rolls around 40 days later, he goes into the temple and say, you men who murdered Jesus. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. So that was Peter. We saw his brother, Andrew. Andrew was the first one called. First thing he went and did was what? Told Peter. Told Peter. And he went and told Peter. But Andrew was there in the beginning, and yet he always had some kind of skepticism. How are we going to feed all of these people? Well, he was at the wedding in Canaan, where he says, bring me a vat of water. And it turned to wine. I mean, feeding should have, that's, that's easy stuff for him. I mean, he'd already seen the dead raised. The lame got up and walked. But I don't know how you're going to feed. Well, it was obvious he had the ability to create. But he kept growing. You keep seeing him as he goes through this. And we looked at Andrew. And, and you know, he's, but he was a behind the scenes guy. All right. I don't need to bring attention to himself. Uh, his brother was, we would call it a natural leader. I call it the loudmouth. Uh, always talking. Listen, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's not, nothing wrong with giving answers as long as they're right. Okay? Cause I've seen people at times make up answers. And you're like, what? <laughs> that's, that's silliness. All right. So uh, you've got to watch for those. Then the next was the next set of brothers, James, son of Zebedee and John, his brother. We looked at James last week. James was the oldest because he's listed first. Peter was probably the oldest between him and Andrew. So James was listed first. And what was amazing to, the, to me about them, probably the most astonishing thing is when Jesus called them, they stopped and went. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to leave the source of my income. Okay? Just walk away from it. Now, think about that for a second. That is a person that has an awful lot of zeal. Okay? Now, why? Well, James came and says, I found the one we've been looking for. So it was obvious James had been looking in Scripture for the coming of Messiah. So he had this, he knew biblically what he was looking for. See, there's people, I remember, did I ever tell you about the time I met with the rabbi uh, that is of the synagogue of the Temple Mount? He's from Brooklyn. The guy's smart. I mean, very, very smart. Very, very biblically smart. Okay. And his, his synagogue is across the apron of the, the wailing wall. I mean, he looks right out his office window at that western wall that everybody likes to fight over and that the Jews like to stick prayers in the crack. And as long as it's in the crack, it keeps going up, even if they're not there or whatever. 
Uh, and it is the most holy site in all of Judaism. And I listened to this guy because I asked him about Messiah. Okay, he has read. He would have read the same text that Nathaniel and, and James read. He knew what it said. He knew what he was looking for. Now, then he gets very esoteric, very opinionated and says, well, some people will say that the Messianic is an age. If you're in, an, in a time in your life where you're prosperous, you're in a Messianic time. Okay, and so basically what they'll try to do is they'll move it out of being a literal person to some kinds of experiences. But if you listen to what he said, he knew what the Bible said. Okay. Then I said, well, then what about the anti-Messiah? Now, this is the guy who does not read nor believe the New Testament. But they also know that there's an anti-Christos coming. Because I was asking him, well, if I'm in a time that is not prosperous, is that the Antichrist time? That's what I was getting around to. When he got done, I listened to what he was saying, and he said it's just darkness. But he says, the true Messiah, and then he described the Antichrist of Revelations. That's the true Messiah that he's looking for. He will be a politician. He will make deals. He will bring peace to Israel. Now, he didn't read the part that he will walk into the temple and claim to be God. Okay, because see, that's not in his Bible. Okay, but when he got done, because he talked about this darkness. And then that's when the true Messiah will come. And when he got done, that's what he described. He will not marry. His loyalty is to God and God alone. He will be a single man not interested in women. Huh. And he will be able to unite the whole world through political means and military might. Huh. As long as he stays out of the valley of Megiddo, he should be fine. Okay. I didn't say that, but it's, that's what I thought. And I'm not going to mention his name because. All right. But see, here's a man who knows what the scriptures say. And yet. And yet. Had a Jewish friend here in Denver. Says he understands what I believe in. And he says, I'll, I'll tell you what. When I see this Messiah. I'll ask him if this is his second time or his first time. And I thought, wow. You haven't seen what it takes to get to the second time, have you? Okay. That's the way James was. But James was the first to be killed. Killed by the sword by Herod. Stephen was the first disciple to die. Martyrdom. And it, did you notice? It was very instantaneous. They got so mad, they just killed him. 
They did the same thing with James. They got so mad, it just killed him. And that began the persecution that happened in Jerusalem. Because the officials could look around and say, everybody happy about this. Okay? Which brings me to John. His brother. Now, if you get commentaries or even some historical books and you read about the person of John, the opinions of John are amazing. They range everything from excruciatingly sentimental to egotistical. And that's how they want to describe John. Now, I do know that Jesus called him one of the sons of thunder. All right. I do know that. He always would speak when you read through his gospel of him lying with his head on Jesus's shoulder. I actually heard some people try to explain that as homosexuality. And I was like, mercy, people, <laughs> because... <laughs> I ate with them in, uh, well, it was just outside of Nazareth. And they all do the same thing. They do exactly what they did at the time of Christ. You, there are no tables. You sit on the floor. The food is served on the floor. And you lean against each other. And you just, you know. And I, I guess it must work because they've been doing it for a few days. He always referred to himself you will see the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that's where they try to get the egotism out of it. Okay? His true characterization? He's a son of thunder. I believe if you read his Gospels and then his three short letters and the letter of the Apocalypsis, that's what revelation means. It's the word Apocalypsis. If you read that, I believe that without a lot of theological help or persuasion, you will see he loved the Lord Jesus Christ deeply, zealously. And part of that deep zeal of love for Jesus Christ was that he was amazed that Jesus loved him. And I think that was the thing that was behind much of what he did and what he said. Even when he wanted to burn up the Samaritans, he understood how much Jesus loved him. Because he knew that his love for him was growing. Even when he wanted a place of prominence in Christ's kingdom. I think he had the audacity to even pose that question to his mother. Because he knew that Jesus loved him. I listen to people describe God and Christ these days. And he almost sounds like a celestial ogre that is taking great delight and watching us stumble around trying to figure out what is his will. And you know what? That is not the God I believe in. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 20, Peter turning around. Okay, this is when it's uh, all coming together. 
Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And then Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And this is where Jesus says, you're going to be stretched out. You're going to be crucified. Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that of you? Follow me. Okay, so I see John marveling over this over and over and over. But let me tell you something. His marveling at Christ's love was based on God's grace in his life. All right? Now listen, one of the things I know for sure, reading John's writings, and I have read all of them, multiple times, his love for Jesus never fell into sentimentalism. Never went there. The hallmark, if you want to look at it, of John's ministry was what he had the balance between truth and love. Okay? Sentimentalism drops the degree and intensity of love at the sake of truth. Okay? Sentimentalism is based on this emotional thing. That was not John's love for Christ. That was not his love for Christ. When you look at John's writings, okay, you've got the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelations. Alright? So, he wrote a lot. He wrote a lot. If you look at the totality of his writings, you'll see that he uses the word love more than 80 times. Okay? But you know what he also see? He uses the word witness 70 times. So he never compromised love for the testimony. This is what I saw. When you see the word witness, this is the testimony. This is not my opinion. This is it, people. He had such a profound love for Christ. And that was his motivation. That compelled him to be a teacher. To be a teacher. Why? Because he taught on love and of the witness of truth. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and following. The one who says... I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. The one who says, uh, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been what? Perfected. Perfected. By this, we will know that we are in him. Verse six 
And the one who says he abides in him. Okay, the word abides, remains. Okay, you can put that word in there and it's still a true translation. The one who remains in him ought himself walk in the same manner as he walked. John understood that because of this overwhelming love, he was overwhelmed by truth. And that truth is fleshed out in his existence. When you looked at John, you saw a facsimile of Christ. And it was all based on his love. And truth. Okay. Whoever keeps God's word in him, the love of Christ, the love of God has been perfected. That's powerful. But let me show you something. You kind of see the intensity of John in, in first John. Okay. You see, we seen this. We held this in our hands. So what I'm telling you is truth from eyewitnesses. Okay? Then in 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than this. To hear... Of my children walking in the truth. See how that love and testimony work together? John's greatest joy was to know that his spiritual children were walking in truth. But you can read through his writings and know that he would denounce and call out anyone who attempted to divert from the goal of the gospel. Those who would distort or those who would deny God's word. Now, there's a whole bunch of people in the evangelical body today who are literally denying the word of God. It is back. In the 60s, there was a semi-awakening of, of truth. But immediately once that started happening, the attack on the validity of God's word began. They would say things like this. Well, in there is God's word. Okay. And no. You're denying what the book claims. But what we do now, and it's coming back around to deny the validity, because I, I want, you know, one of the things that caught my eye, it's, and it's, it may seem trivial to you. Everybody started making, uh, study Bibles. I mean, if you've got a TV show, radio show, or whatever, then you're going to go out and make you a, cause I, I didn't even seen one that was a spirit filled Bible. And I thought, Spirit-filled Bible? What the heck is a Spirit-filled Bible? What the heck is mine? Is mine a Spirit-vacant Bible? 
Okay, but one of the things that I noticed and it and it's happening, you got to understand a lot of publishers right now. Are owned by secular companies, they're selling it to make money, but you know, one of the first things that caught my eye about Bibles. They removed the word holy. There's a whole bunch of Bibles out there right now that say this is the Bible. This is a such and such study Bible. This is this Bible. But the word holy is absent. Now you can sit and tell me, well, that's not that big a deal. I got news for you. Bible means book. Holy means set apart book. Okay. Now everybody's going, I got a pagan Bible. What do I got going? Listen, you're not going to go to hell if your Bible don't have holy on there. Just take you a marker and write. No. Okay. But I want you guys to keep this in mind because there are those people right now who are out denying the scriptures because we had a pastor years and years and years and years ago who made a statement to me one time. We were, I don't, we were having some kind of meeting or we were plotting our future or planning our future or whatever. And this is when, um, quote unquote, counseling was first coming around. Okay. Jim Dobson had just moved from California to Colorado Springs. And so everybody was kind of getting on this counseling thing. And I remember him one time we were sitting, trying to figure out the vision for the church, what we were going to do, what we were going to teach and all the rest. And we were just sitting there. I was still uh, a layman. Uh, we didn't even have elders at that time. It was just Sunday school teachers were there and people who wanted to just be a part of it were there. And he made this statement and it stuck with me. Okay. He says, there are times that people need more than the Bible. And at that time, you know, I wasn't biblically literate, but there was something about that. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) What do you mean people need more than the Bible? Man does not live by bread alone. But every word comes. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word shall never. Peter said, he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Okay, when I look around today, and you got to remember that would have been the early 80s. When I look around today, can you see the difference? Go listen to so many sermons. Well, maybe not. Maybe, am I allowed to say that? Maybe not. When you listen to a sermon, we'll do that. When you listen to a sermon or you watch somebody on television or even if you read some quote unquote book. Ask yourself a question as you're reading. Is this opinion or is this truth? Okay. Is this opinion or is this truth? Because if you know what truth says, remember what I went back to. Discipleship is to be a learner. I know what the Bible says. If I know what the Bible says, then I have the ability to say, that's your opinion. Okay? And you know, God bless you and your opinion. All right? But I'm more interested in truth. Opinions 
are as good as any. Okay? Did you hear what I said? Opinions are as good as any. There's only one truth. There's only one truth. I look today, I know a church here in our community right now took down their crosses because the cross offends people. And they don't want to offend unbelievers looking at that cross. And you're like, what? And he said it like he had a great master plan. I have this great idea to reach the loss. We'll remove crosses. Go look at what they're doing. They take any denominational alliances out of their name. Why? People are offended by Presbyterian. There's even a movement now to remove the word church. They're getting rid of it. Why? Ecclesias. That's what the word is. Ecclesias. You know what it means? It's very bigoted. It's the called out ones. That's Ecclesias. That is church. Why? We don't want to offend. See, if we can get you who are lost, blind, naked, and depraved to like me, then you might like my Jesus. You won't know who he is, but you might like him. Even in the church, they compromise truth so as not to offend. I don't want to offend any people. I don't want to make anybody mad. It's just fascinating to me. Well, yes, it's sad too. Let me close this up with a text that the Apostle Paul gave to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 9. 1, verse 9. Okay, this is a, this is a, te- this is a verse that the evangelical church or the imputationist church has completely lost. Look what it says. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. We all agree with that. I listen to preachers today, and they all want us to be more loving. We've got to be more loving. We will love them into heaven. We will love more and more, and the more we love, the more people want to be around us because we love. Okay? But they don't read the rest of it. In real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. You want to love more. You need to know more truth of Christ. See how John ties the two together? It is the testimony. And love. I know this. I am convinced of this. You will never take this from me. Then love. Because my love is supernaturally empowered by the nature and character of the one that I love and I know him through truth. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, I'm thinking about it. We might as well go to Ephesians chapter 4. There is 
4, verses 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You know what that means to me? I don't need no opinion. I hear people from the pulpits these days say, I think this means, then be quiet. Be quiet. If you don't know what it means, then shut up. And I'm saying that in love. Why? Because a teacher's judgment is harsher. So don't come up and say, well, I think. Okay? You come up and you speak the words that God has given you over the course of being a worker approved, rightly dividing truth with all diligence. With all diligence. Because at that point in time, you begin to flesh it out. It is seen in you. That's John. Testimony and love. And it was all wrapped up in his zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have zeal. Now get truth. That truth will grow your love and the world will stand in awe of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle John and um, all of his writings that I know that you are in charge of. Lord, thank you for these, just the four that we've been through right now, the two sets of brothers. Father, I pray that we are hearing. I pray that we are just drinking deep of the amazing God of all. And that, Father, that just as John has commanded us, and the love of the Father be in it and be perfected. But, Father, we can only do that in truth. As Paul told the Philippians, Father, it will only by the knowledge will our love increase. Help us, Lord. These are strange times. These are compromising times. These are distorted times. Father, I pray, I beg you, to help us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. May our love for you grow with every breath you grace us. Until that moment that our faith becomes sight, may we have the zeal of the sons of thunder. Father, the learning of Peter, the experiences of Peter, but the attitude of a servant to cease a task as in Andrew. Help us, my King, in Christ's name. Amen.